Hi, and welcome to the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes, the straight-talking, no-nonsense podcast written and presented by me, Sally Hughes, and brought to you by Avon. We'll be discussing a different topic each week on all manner of beauty issues, from the practical to the political, the deeply serious to the deliciously superficial, all with a host of industry experts at the very top of their game. In every show, there's a Q&A with them and me, and we really want to hear from you. Ask us any beauty-related question or tell us which topics you'd like to see covered. Tag me on social, I'm Sally Hughes Everywhere, that's with one L and an I, except on Facebook, where I'm Sally Hughes, get the look, and use the hashtag The Beauty Podcast with Sally. I loved being pregnant, and for those nine months felt pretty okay about how I looked. Skipping retinols, benzoyl peroxide, roaccutane and hydroquinone wasn't an issue. I enjoyed never thinking about my weight other than how it related to my baby's health. My hair and nails became less problematic than ever, at least as soon as I'd stopped being sick, and the only unwanted effect on my appearance, huge brown mask-like patches on my face, known as melasma or cloasma, would, I was certain, disappear as soon as the baby arrived. But it was afterwards that everything hit me hard, at least with my first baby, and not only physically. My body now belonged, at least for now, to someone else. I had a new identity, that of a mother, and I didn't know who I was meant to see in the mirror. As I lost a disappointing amount of baby weight and all that lustrous extra hair, I also lost my identity in part, my confidence, and sometimes, I thought, my sanity. Yes, I was certainly depressed, and many women will be happily unable to identify with how I was feeling. But what is pretty universal is the tired skin of new parenthood, the telltale dehydration of breastfeeding, the sudden lack of any free time to pay attention to one's appearance. A quick shower becomes a luxury enjoyed during precious naps. Any makeup must be fast, easy and with enough stamina to keep up with a busy mother. How we feel inside when everything on the outside has changed, well that's one of the things we'll talk about today. Today's guest is midwife, mother of four and parenting blogger, Clemmie Hooper, known to hundreds of thousands of you as mother of daughters. Hello, Clemmie. Hello. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you? Four kids. Yes. I mean, are you done? Oh, yeah, we're done. My husband had a vasectomy (laughs) this year. I say it with such glee. I I mean, you did well waiting that long for him to have it. Good for you. Well, it was more, um, I had to do a few kind of like, come on. In fact, when we found out um, that my pregnancy was uh, the twins, he did say during one of the scans, I'll have a vasectomy. (laughs) And he did offer during the pregnancy. But I felt, um, I was a bit kind of superstitious, I guess, that I just thought, let's wait until they're born and they're healthy and... Um, and then, like anything, it kind of got put on the back burner. But um, I don't know if this is a generalisation of men, but my goodness, to go and get my husband to make a doc's appointment, it's like yeah. pulling teeth. Yeah. Um, no, it's a known phenomenon. Anyway, yes, we are done. We're very, <laughs> we have four healthy and gorgeous girls. And um, yeah, and now we have a dog, a male dog. Okay, so you've got a new baby. Well, that it's Simon's baby, really. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go on to your wealth of professional experience, I just wanted to talk to you about your personal experience as a mother, because I imagine that's 
very different. At which stage in your career did you become a mother yourself? So I became a mother quite young Mm -hmm. um, and unexpectedly. Simon and I had only been dating for less than two years and we had just, we met at uni, so we just graduated and decided to move in together while we sort of decided what we wanted to do if we were going to travel. And I discovered I was pregnant. So when she was born, I was uh, 22. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been a qualified midwife for a year, so very junior midwife. Um, So my experience then compared to now, um, 12 years later, 13 years later, I think I've been a midwife 13 years. Yes, I have. It's very different, and obviously experience is... um, is a reason for that. So um, things that happened to me and that I experienced during pregnancy, birth and as a new mother, I didn't know about. And I obviously hadn't been a midwife long enough or maybe have missed that one lecture on hair loss with having the twins when I was in my 30s. My experience was better sure, because I was more educated, I guess. I mean, it's quite a big thing, isn't it, for a 22-year-old because... Uh, I think arguably at 22, you're still working out who you are anyway, regardless of children. Absolutely, You're just trying to work out who the hell Clemmy is and what she wants and what she's about and yep. what she will tolerate and what she won't tolerate and all of that stuff. And so when you throw a grenade into that natural process in the form of a baby, how did that affect how you felt about yourself and your self-identity, I guess? So I guess physically, and if we look at um, fertility as a woman, 22 is prime. You know, your fertility is at your best. We should be having our babies really Mm -hmm. at 22. But obviously lifestyle and life choices means that women aren't traditionally having babies at 22, but probably our grandmothers had babies in their early 20s. Yes, absolutely. But exactly what you just said, Sally, that I didn't really know who I was. I'd just come out of uni where I'd you know, done a very typically normal uni three years of studying and having, you know, going out drinking all hours. And also financially, I didn't really have very much money. I was a junior midwife working outside London. I think my starting salary was on, I think I was on 19,000. And I was working nights and weekends, so quite unsociable hours. And you don't, it's quite difficult to eat well when you're working shift work. Yes. And I was then pregnant. And I had a lot of worry and stress about, are we going to cope? My then boyfriend, it seems funny to call him my boyfriend, but he was my boyfriend then, Simon. Um, how are we going to make this work? Is our relationship going to stand this? But then there was this whole other area of just a lot of naivety where I sort of thought, oh, I think we'll be okay. We didn't really have much life experience yeah. as opposed to if we'd had our babies now in our 30s. So I didn't have a huge amount to compare it to. So in a way, we sort of naively just chugged along with it. So weirdly, again, those pressures that I think a lot of people feel on a materialistic level weren't really there. We didn't have any friends with babies, so we didn't have anything to compare it to. We were just like, we're just going to have this baby. It's funny, isn't it? Because we always we always think of that kind of cliche which is very often true knowledge is power and that, and that's how I feel about lots of different crises but actually sometimes naivety can be power can't it it's Absolutely. what it's what our mothers and grandmothers always said of oh we just got on with it yeah. you know just crack on there's never a good time you'll make it work somehow yeah 
But as a midwife, you must be dealing with mothers all the time who are at a quite different stage in their life where they are used to um, maybe achieving an awful lot at work, Mm -hmm. looking a certain way, taking real pride in their appearance, maybe spending lots of time, potentially lots of money on their appearance. Mm. And it can knock you for six, can't it, when you become pregnant and certainly when you become a mother. I mean, I mentioned at the top that I had an easy time of it in pregnancy, but for lots of women, it starts bad and gets worse until yeah. they come out of the tunnel. Yeah. What kind of things do you see in your professional life? So I work in a very busy London hospital, which has a very mixed um, population. The women who I would say find it harder in terms of identity are the women that have maybe had a very successful career, uh-huh. um, very ambitious have um, maybe travelled a lot for work, very busy, um, high achievers, suddenly there's this pregnancy which is very much wanted, but actually it's the one thing they can't really control because as we know, as women and mothers, and I'm sure anyone that's listening, everyone's pregnancy experience is different and unique. So I see women that say... And from one baby to another. Oh, exactly. My two experiences were apples and oranges. Yeah. Yeah. So you may have women that don't get a single second of morning sickness. And I suffered very badly with morning sickness. I actually had hyperemesis Mm -hmm. with the twins. Um, so when so people, that's just constantly, constantly yeah, being sick. It's what it Catherine was, Middleton had. Yes, oh, she yeah. did, yeah. Um, so women who say they didn't even have a second of morning sickness, I just think, God, lucky you, but isn't that amazing? So what I was saying was that there's this experience you cannot control um, and you have no idea how your body is going to react to this pregnancy And there's a lot of talk like listen to your body if you need to sleep, sleep. But actually, for a lot of women, they may be continuing this very um, highly pressured working. Women are travelling still in those early weeks of pregnancy when you haven't really told anyone. People kind of often keep that news quite um, quiet until maybe they've had a scan. There's a lot of letting go of control. And I speak here personally. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you can um, judge other women and think, well, I'd never let my baby have a dummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with my first daughter, I used to meet up with um, some mums with our babies and I she had a dummy and I used to take the dummy out just before we get there. <laughs> In case anybody it. thought you were a terrible mother. And when the twins were born, <laughs> they had a dummy pretty much straight away because yeah. I thought, you know, cut your losses. Your point about them coming with no manual is actually key to how we feel about ourselves just after we've had a baby in that you you don't have any training, you don't have any sick leave, you don't have any positive feedback whatsoever. You're completely untrained. And I think for lots of women, they go from a job that they think, yeah, I'm good at this. Mm. I'm good at this job. And then they're thrown in, albeit very voluntarily and happily, and that doesn't take away from that. They're thrown into a job that actually they're not very good at initially because it's not possible I think it's very rare to be a total natural. Mm. You know, you see some women, a friend of mine's just had a baby and she's kind of magic. But I've seen that so rarely. Mm. Most of us are just kind of trying to work it out. But that first time, there's so much pressure to do it a certain way, to look a certain way. And you're only putting the pressure on yourself. Yeah, but... But are we, though? I feel like there's a lot of pressure from the outside. And there's a terrible thing that women do to one another where they 
compare themselves to others. A friend Always. of mine, Sarah, uh, after she had her first baby, and she won't mind me telling this story because she's told it publicly herself, but after she had her baby, she went to a mother and baby group and, you know, breastfeeding wasn't working and she felt like crap and she looked like crap. And a woman turned up at the mother and baby with a beautiful blow dry and perfect makeup and she had these really trendy socks on and Sarah was so upset with the socks she thought how can you have these perfectly chosen trendy socks on you're letting us down but what I realised that That we don't know what's going on in that woman's head absolutely that woman may have been having a complete nightmare and this was the only way she could fake it I guess Absolutely. And I think I think maybe choosing those socks or putting on the makeup sometimes can be a way of trying to regain control over the uncontrollable. I used to, um, when I was a community midwife, um, I'd go and do postnatal visits. I'd, you know, the new mum, kind of day two, you know, they'd just come out of hospital with this baby and you'd open the front door and I was a community midwife in a part of London which had, you know, one side of the street was um, quite affluent and the other side was, there was a lot of deprivation. Yeah. And you'd knock on the door and... You know, the husband would open the door and he looked really knackered. I don't think men maybe do as much hiding. And there was the new mum all dressed and looking gorgeous. And, you know, and there she'd be standing. Oh, hello. And you'd see her sit down the sofa wincing. And oh, she'd be in man, an outfit which was... that wince. And you were thinking how... I want to, You know, you were there to watch the baby breastfeed and they're in an outfit which is buttoned up to the chin. And you think... How are you going to be doing this? And women would say to me, oh, I just thought I needed to be presentable for you and I'm like I'm your midwife I'm the person that I I want you in bed yeah I don't want to see you get coming down the stairs wincing you've had a forceps delivery or you've had an episiotomy go and rest your body but I did the same with my first baby so what would you do I think when our daughter was a couple of days old maybe day five we went and had lunch out because I did have this massive boost of hormones which made me feel great and that is very normal yeah you feel kind of superhuman yeah I was like well I haven't slept properly five days but I had a baby (laughs) I want everyone to know I want to take the pram out you know I'm 22 but I've got this you know there's no judgment here um and I mean that is just madness and then you know the inevitable happened after a week or so you hit a Crash. crash and you're exhausted and your baby cries and the visitors aren't around so much and the um, you know, the biscuits and the food in the fridge have run out because people aren't coming around. And then actually, fast forward, um, when I had the twins, I had a doula in my pregnancy who was a friend of mine. And she gave me the soundest advice, which I was already trying to implement as a midwife, which is one week in bed, one week on the sofa. And she... What does that mean? Which basically so- means after you have your baby, you pretty much stay in bed for a week. Uh-huh. Which to... Um, Our culture, and I know you've made a face at me thinking, what is that? It's very abnormal. But in many cultures, so for the Asian community, that's really normal. Actually, it's longer. It can be for a month. So just you and the baby in bed. In bed, and everyone around you does everything else. So you don't have any unnecessary visitors. Um, Women will bring you, or visitors might bring you food. Or um, the only reason you need to really get out of bed is to use the bathroom Mm -hmm. and, you know, shower and stuff. And I did it with the twins, and it was the best thing I ever did. And we limited all visitors. In fact, we only, I think, had the midwife. And um, we had friends who left food on our doorstep or friends that text me and go, I'm just in Sainsbury's. Are you low on milk and tea bags? Which you seem to go through at the dozen when you've got a new baby. Um, and they'd leave those things on the doorstep. 
And what it meant was that my husband, who had two weeks paternity leave, and I had, we had the older children who were at school. So apart from kind of dropping them off and picking them up, we had this block in the day where we would just tag team. So he would take the twins, I'd go back to sleep and bring them to when they needed feeding. I ate well and I felt physically rested. Yeah. I didn't put on, it was so lovely, I didn't wear any makeup because I didn't need to. There was no one I was trying to look my best yeah. for. And I felt brilliant. And then and he, you're not trying to look capable. No. I think that's very often And it often was like a survival. Yeah. I think I would be more worried as a midwife if I went and saw a new mum and her house was immaculate and she was... That's present. really interesting, would you? Absolutely. And would you possibly ask a few more questions about how yeah. she was coping? Oh, I would ask, you know, I'm not afraid to, to ask and I would feel it, you know, especially with... Um, kind of such high rates of postnatal depression that we know about now. We really need to be on top of it as health professionals. So, yeah, I would ask, I would sort of say, you know, and how are you? How was your night? I would often start with. Yeah. um, Because then you'll get quite a detailed sort of script of how the night's gone. And also you can think how much are they feeding their baby? Um, and often you'd say, "Oh, is it okay if we watch the baby? If I watch the baby feed?" And then, like I said, they'd unbutton their sort of blouse, and that was not appropriate for breastfeeding. And for a lot of women, breastfeeding is a—I mean, it is a huge skill to learn. It absolutely is. I still it don't know anyone that said, mad. "Oh, it's so easy to just put the baby on the breast." <clears throat> it drives me mad. I had one absolute nightmare, and then one blissful seventeen months of breastfeeding. But the first time, I felt broken mm. by it. I expressed for months and months. It's so tiring. Yeah. And this belief that you're failing if you're not doing what comes so naturally to everyone else. Yeah. But of course, because I didn't have many friends with babies, it's only since then when all my friends have had babies that I've realised that basically the, the norm is to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And, to, you know, I remember when I was training as a midwife, um, we were taught if it hurts, you're doing it wrong which I still think is complete rubbish. I do as well. And I try and use the analogy, you can buy the most expensive pair of shoes and they can still rub and then you break them in and then they are the most comfortable pair of shoes. And I still believe that with breastfeeding. that um, And not all women get sore, sore nipples or pain, but for a lot do. I mean, for most women, you haven't had your nipples sucked like that no. every two no. hours or whatever for... 20 minutes to half an hour, you know, it's not... No, and, and you become so dehydrated, oh which I, I know is coming up in questions. But just briefly, before we go to questions, I also wanted to ask you, so now you have four daughters, which I think I think is really interesting from the perspective of appearance and beauty because that's, I find it quite stressful and I don't have daughters looking at the stuff that little girls are growing up with now mm. in the beauty space. Is it something that, as a mother of four daughters, but also as somebody who is so present on social media, mm. are those sorts of pressures on your mind for little girls as they grow up? Expectations of beauty? They are. My eldest daughter is really getting into beauty. She watches a lot of YouTube videos. And how videos. old is she? She's 12. So... um She's also really into art, so she um, does a lot of like fine pencil drawing of faces and a lot of the way that she wears makeup, mainly in the house, she doesn't really go out in it. Kind of play. Yeah, is an experimental and in a kind of weird art form, she often makes videos with her friends. So it's a bit like stage makeup, which I'm really impressed with that she's already into it. I sort of say maybe you'll be a special effects 
makeup artist. That's brilliant. But I think that's sort of critical, isn't it? Because you're framing it as play and yes. artistry and experimentation yeah. and fun, as opposed to you would look so pretty if. Yes. I mean, I find it very difficult when I hear people say, oh, you shouldn't tell little girls they're beautiful or you look pretty. I Every mother thinks their children are beautiful. Should we go to some questions? Yes, yes. Avon has championed breast cancer awareness for over 25 years and donated £20 million to charities. This Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Avon and Copper Feel are launching Breast Breaks. The campaign aims to encourage women and men to take the time to check their breasts and pecs regularly to spot the early signs of breast cancer. You can find out more by visiting avon.uk.com forward slash causes. Take a hashtag breast break. Katie wants to know, I had my second baby seven weeks ago and regardless of what I use, my skin looks like crepe paper. What I would say, and I'd be interested to know Clemmie's thoughts on this, she doesn't say if she's breastfeeding. No. But breastfeeding is an extremely dehydrating activity. I mean, do you remember that feeling in your mouth as soon as the baby latches on? Yeah. Your mouth just goes yeah. to like a desert. Yeah. And you'd be like, where's my water? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I barely drank. I constantly had to be told I needed to drink mm. loads more. Yeah, breastfeeding is hugely dehydrating. And that and that will be pronounced on your skin. Your body has to look after all of its vital organs, so it will use the water it needs and whatever's left over will go to your skin. And if there's none left over, it won't go to your skin. No. So it's very, very common to be dehydrated. So... Katie, you say you're using hyaluronic acid, which is definitely, definitely helpful. You say you use mists, oils, everything. That makes me think you're maybe doing too much and that will be contributing to your sebaceous filaments. But whatever you're using on your skin, it can't replace what you're putting in your body. Yeah, You need to be drinking far, far more water than is perhaps normal for you, correct? Yeah, oh God, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult if, you're, if your partner's at work and you're at home with the baby, but um, then I just used to have bottles of water all over, all the places I'd often feed in bed or on the sofa or an armchair in the kitchen, I'd have a bottle of water. And also when you're going out, I think um, it's really important to remember a bottle of water. I guess every time your baby feeds, try and drink as much as you can. And also what you're eating as well. And I know that's really, it's very difficult to try and, I mean, everything's one-handed, isn't it? You can't, you never finish anything. You learn to eat everything one-handed. Well, there's all, you know, people are so generous and bring you lovely treats when you've got a new baby. But there was a lot of sugar in our house, which at the time it's all you crave because you're so tired. And not great for your skin. Sugar is one of the things we ingest that, that, that we're pretty sure negatively affects the appearance of our skin. Amanda wants to know, I have been either pregnant or breastfeeding for the last five and a half years. Oh, gosh. And I feel like the elasticity, collagen, I guess, in my skin has really decreased quickly during that time, especially while breastfeeding my second child. Am I imagining this or have my children literally sucked the collagen <laughs> from my skin? Um I know how that feels. It is much more likely to be dehydration, but also collagen um, production can be impacted by hormones. Um, in terms of building up collagen, there are things that we know for sure work. Retinol works, but you're not to use that until you've finished breastfeeding. So it may be 
a situation where you need to sit and wait, where you just need to drink loads and loads of water now and eat well. So the things that are safe for you to do about your collagen production right now are to eat lots of oily fish, lots of essential fatty acids, and that will help your collagen production and that's safe while you're breastfeeding. But as for um, topical and cosmetic collagen builders, um, retinol being the kind of gold standard, you will need to wait until after you've uh, finished breastfeeding. Vitamin C um, and zinc are also helpful. Uh, there's some evidence that ferulic acid also helps with collagen production. But I think as you, it sounds as though, Amanda, you're still breastfeeding, I would focus on fatty acids, oils, and so on to try and, and get things moving until you're safely out of the baby zone. Lauren wants to know, regarding hyperpigmentation while pregnant, is there anything you can do except stay out of the sun to prevent pigmentation? Does it always fade when you're not pregnant anymore or is this a myth? Do you think cosmetics can truly influence this? I mean, I could quack on about this all day because I've been there. But Clemmie, tell me, you must see lots of women with brown patches yeah. on their face. Like the butterfly mask. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be really difficult to accept that. Again, it's going back to this things that are happening to your body, which is uncontrollable. It's hormone-related, as is everything in pregnancy. I think it's very easy to say just embrace it. I mean, you can cover up with as much makeup as you like. It does fade. I haven't seen any women that have had long-lasting patches on their face. Postnatally, again, it's there's going to be days when you don't want to put any makeup on, but you might be feeling really self-conscious of it. Um, did you experience it in your pregnancy? Yeah. Um, so so Lindsay's asking essentially the same question, which is since having my first baby, I've suffered with pigmentation on my cheekbones. As I'm breastfeeding, what products could you recommend to help with this? So I we've got loads of questions on this. Um, I suffered from melasma. I say my suffering. It was, yeah. you know, it's it's not a harmful thing no. it's not an unhealthy thing it's a visual thing and it can be really upsetting for people yeah. I find it upsetting but perspective I, I do have it but I had um, melasma during both my pregnancies really really um, prominent melasma um, and it stayed with me but not in that huge butterfly mask shape no. it kind of migrated to other areas and I think if if you have had melasma in answer to the question, does it stick around? Does it always go away? Sometimes it goes away, sometimes it doesn't. It's certainly common for it to hang around in some capacity forever. And you can do things about it. Um, I find the most effective thing for me is vitamin C. Um, I use quite a strong vitamin C when I when my melasma is in full effect, um, i.e. after the summer to get rid of it. You want something above a 20% concentration really to do much. And you probably want to put that on at night because at a high concentration, the texture is not going to be very nice under makeup. So you kind of want to do it in the evening. Um, and regards to sunscreen, yes, sunscreen is really, really important. I would suggest, though, using a physical rather than a chemical sunscreen because there's a fair amount of evidence now that suggests that if you're a melasma sufferer, a physical sunscreen which deflects the rays rather than a chemical one which absorbs the rays is better for deterring melasma. You can cover it up with makeup, but I find if you cover it up with makeup, it can go a bit grey and I find it more useful to put fake tan around the patches ah. than try and cover the patches themselves. Ah, so if you make the it. rest of your face browner, mm. that's more useful than trying to make the patches paler. Ah. And also if you're a new mum, that's easier too because you can whack it on before you go to bed and yeah. the effect last for two or three days you don't have to keep putting on makeup and yeah. taking it off Leslie wants to know I was fascinated by the difference between my pregnant hair thick and lush and my postpartum mm -hmm. hair down the plug hole mostly 
it would be good for those still expecting to know if there's anything they can do to hold on to their hair after the baby arrives. Now, this is a really interesting topic because I think we think when we're pregnant we get loads of extra hair, but, but we, we don't. don't. We just don't lose it. We don't lose it. The moment I stopped breastfeeding, oh out it came. Literally, I think I'd missed maybe five feeds and out it came. It's a real shock. When I had my first baby, I had no idea about hair loss. And she was about, I was still breastfeeding when my hair started shedding. She was about four months old. And I remember scraping my hair back in a bun and these patches. And my hair was literally falling out of my hands. I went to my GP because I was so worried. And she said, oh, yeah, it's really normal. Yeah. With my second daughter, I then had my fringe put, I had a fringe put in so that you didn't see the patches, and which I'm now trying to grow out, but I've still got baby hair and everything. But it's such a big deal. And again, it was not talked about. I documented it actually a lot when I was um, postnatally with the twins because I found that, again, women had no idea and women were really ashamed. So exactly what you said, I had a really good hairdresser in London who was brilliant and she said exactly the same, which it's not that your hair gets thicker, it's that we don't shed it during pregnancy, we we hang on to it. It can be traumatic. I think it can be very severe for some women. I used to ask my hairdresser a lot, is there anything else I could do? She said, continue to get your hair cut regularly. She said, don't be afraid and think that you're going to lose more hair because... Haircuts, you know, it's good for your hair. It makes your hair healthy. Helen is saying on her hair loss, she's saying, when is the best time to cut and colour? So you feel a bit neater and risk having hair that doesn't look quite right once it's all come out or throw it up in a mum bun then sort it once it's settled. I mean, I can identify with both. I do think that quite a nice thing to do at the very end of your pregnancy is to get your hair done because at that point you're not doing so much in the last week or two. Yeah. I was basically sitting down and eating a whole carrot cake every day at that point. I was completely bored and immobile. (laughs) And actually having having your hair done is quite a nice thing to do. Maybe a pedicure or waxing if that's what you're into or whatever it is you do. Mm. It's quite a nice time because you definitely won't have time later. Yeah. But in terms of losing your hair and whether your new haircut and colour will look weird, it's impossible to say, isn't it? Because it depends if you're feeding. It depends when you're going to stop feeding. Yeah. And how long that haircut's going to last you before the, the your hormone levels change, yep. I guess. Do you find that your mums try and do a bit of self-care before the baby comes along? Yeah, I think they do often. The pedicure is a quite classic one. Um, I talk about this in my book, like it's quite nice to have a pedicure when you're pregnant. Obviously, it's nice to sit down and have someone... I couldn't reach my feet. Well, you can't reach your feet. And also, postnatally, there's not that much time to have those things. So there is something very pleasing about looking down at your feet and having nice feet. I mean, no matter how tired you look or how your body looks especially if your feet get quite swollen in pregnancy and when yeah. that fluid has been dispersed and your feet look a bit more like yours. It is lovely to have nice-looking toes. I actually had a, a voucher from a friend and you could have picked anything and I had a massage over a manicure after I had a baby because my body... I mean, my shoulders felt so tight from all the feeding. Yeah. And women do wax. We don't, as midwives, we say it makes absolutely no difference to us. We don't care if you're waxed. Um, but if that's something that you do anywhere and it makes you feel a bit better. That's the thing. I think what what do you do normally? How do you feel nice? And if you're a waxer, I'm yeah. not much of a waxer I mean, myself, I but... personally can't think of anything worse at that stage no, of pregnancy. same. 
I think for a lot of women, they're quite swollen down below. You know, your vulva and labia is quite swollen in pregnancy. That's very normal. I just wouldn't want any hot wax put on that. Me neither. I want to ask you Fran's question because it relates to twins. So you're perfectly um, placed to answer it. (laughs) Fran wants to know, I've just had twins and I've got a toddler as well. Oh, God. Is this you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm getting absolutely zero sleep and no me time because I'm breastfeeding the twins. So I'd love some two minute miracle recommendations beauty wise so did you just give up or were there some things that you had to hand that you thought okay well I'll look a bit better or feel a bit better if I reach for these um I remember buying during a night feed which was when I used to do my most you know exaggerate just mad shopping I suddenly was like I'm gonna buy that miracle baby blanket because it will make them sleep I did buy a tinted moisturizer bb cream from Space and Care in the middle of the night. I mean, I think it costs about 40 quid, which is just so ridiculous in terms of expenditure. But I wasn't really spending any other money. I haven't had twins, but um, I I would say the same thing. A tinted moisturiser, you can just whack it on really Mm -hmm. quickly. You don't even need a mirror always. And you just look a bit healthier, a bit glowier, more moist, a bit plumper in the skin. Um, And that's helpful. Can we talk about boobs? Always. (laughs) Sarah wants to know, during breastfeeding, the skin on my boobs was being stretched a lot and Mm. I didn't want to use much or any products on it. What, if anything, can help ease it and stop it from becoming saggy? Mm. Um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but actually (laughs) there's not much you can do with product. You can certainly improve the look and appearance of your skin, Mm -hmm. But you can't make your boobs firmer with any topical product. I don't care what anyone says. You can't. It's not possible. It's also worth adding that breastfeeding does not make your breasts saggy. Um, I think a lot of women historically have believed that and for whatever reason. And I would hate to think that that would potentially make someone decide not to breastfeed. Breastfeeding doesn't make your breasts saggy. Um, your breasts will get bigger in pregnancy whether you decide to breastfeed or not. So increase in size and then obviously, you know, as your breasts will get smaller. Um, But there's many, many women out there who haven't had children and haven't breastfed and would still say their breasts are saggy. We talk about everything that happens that's weird on your face in pregnancy. I mean, your boobs... You know, hair on your chin as you get older, but hair on your actual areola. Um, And also the colour changes and everything. Um, For many women who maybe have small breasts. Veins become more prominent in lots of women. Oh, my goodness. You look like a road map. Yeah, your ducts swell, don't they? They do. Um, I would be very careful about what you're putting on, if you are breastfeeding, and what you're putting on your skin that's especially going to go onto the nipple because um, obviously your baby is... um, Ingesting. Yeah, ingesting. But I'm sure a lot of the creams that you can be using for your bump in pregnancy if you're trying to prevent stretch marks, which we know it's not always possible. But if you feel you want to do something to moisturise your skin, just be very careful what you're putting anywhere near your nipples because your breasts, they're like self-cleaning. That's the amazing thing about breastfeeding. The breast milk just naturally keeps the nipples um, moisturised. Now, this is a question that comes up a lot. I get lots of messages about this on social media. Victoria wants to know, it would be good to know what you can and can't use during pregnancy and when breastfeeding in terms of skincare ingredients, facial treatments and so on. There's so much misinformation about this. You need to lay off retinols. So so retinoid, retinols and so on need to be avoided. They're not 
um, recommended during pregnancy. As with many things during pregnancy, they're not recommended because studies would never be done on pregnant women. That's yeah. the thing. And so we have to just avoid them and assume that they're probably not a good idea. Retinols um, are one of those. Also drugs for um, acne, um, peroxide treatments for acne, Roaccutane, mm-hmm. antibiotics for acne, you can't use those. There are some treatments for acne, which we talked about in the acne episode, which you can go back to, which are safe in pregnancy. But by and large, those sorts of treatments have to be avoided. Um, there's lots of talk about um, beta-hydroxy acids, i.e. salicylic acid, not being advisable. But actually, the studies on those are when they are ingested, not when they're used topically. The evidence suggests that when they're used topically, they're fine for use during pregnancy. And hair dye, I get this a lot. There was um, There were lots of headlines about... Um, Kate Middleton uh, when she was pregnant first time and she had her colour refreshed and people were furious with her for having her colour refreshed saying how irresponsible that was that's actually nonsense if you do so safely when you're not pregnant and you have the proper skin test when you are pregnant then you're fine to continue obviously if you're somebody with an allergy you absolutely should not go near hair dye um, at any time but let alone during pregnancy but the claims that hair dye is toxic when you're pregnant is literally 50 years out of date and you're fine to continue with what you normally do. It's like exercise, right? People always say you mustn't exercise during pregnancy. Yeah. Well, I mustn't because I don't really exercise when I'm not pregnant. But if you are a fitness person... Yeah, that's what we say. Don't stop. And actually, it is really good to exercise and keep your heart strong when you're pregnant. We just say don't start a new exercise that would be quite... Yeah. You know, if you've never done kickboxing before, maybe not the best one to do. But, you know, what would you say to all of those Olympic runners who are still running when they're, you know, eight months pregnant? If you do it anyway, then your body's going to be used to it. But if you don't do a lot of exercise, but you want to, something more gentler, which is aimed at pregnancy, like yoga and Pilates mm-hmm. and swimming, would be recommended. Things like yoga and Pilates can actually be really great if you've got things like sciatica or, yeah. or muscle ache in yeah. pregnancy. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, it's brilliant. I've, I'm now a convert to reformer Pilates myself. Are so, you? That's yeah. the one with the machine, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Dawn, best lightweight concealing and quick use of makeup to hide a multitude of skin sins when constantly rushing. Well, this is the thing, as we mentioned before, there's so little time when you've just had a baby. And I would say a tinted moisturiser. I'm also a big believer in a bit of a pink cream blush. Oh, yes. Regardless of your skin colour, I do think pink cheeks when you're dehydrated, tired and all of those things do give a fake perkiness. I love those pot ones that you just literally, and yeah. that's for cheek and lips. Yeah, exactly. So you can just shove it on Keep the it in your handbag and pop it on before you go to baby clinic. Rachel says, I'd love any guidance on my extremely sensitive scalp and super dry skin. That would be amazing. Is it normal after having a baby? Yes. I am very, very, very dry. I don't have a sensitive scalp, but I do have a dry scalp. My skin is very, very dry and the drier it gets, the itchier it gets. And it is absolutely normal after having a baby. It's normal for lots of reasons to go really dry after a baby. Partly, it can be down to breastfeeding, as mentioned before. Um, It can also be down to hormone levels. Typically, when women are pregnant or going through menopause, very often their underlying skin condition becomes more pronounced. But also, and nobody ever really talks about this, there's a very good chance your skin is drier after pregnancy because you don't have time to moisturise it and look after it. And I think that's quite overlooked. We look for reasons in pregnancy that something's happened to our skin, but very often it's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to slather myself in body lotion after a shower because I was trying to get showered before the baby woke up. Yeah. And very often you neglect these things and, of course, 
you suddenly are likely to feel drier because you're not able to quite take the time. What I would recommend there is if you must bath, and look, I love a bath too, even though it isn't particularly good for my skin, make sure you're putting oils in the bath, nothing, no essential oils or anything like that, especially if you've got stitches, if you've had a tear or an episiotomy. Use quite bland oils like avocado, olive, almond, that sort of oil, um, rather than essential oils to just keep your skin nice and soft. And then you could also use an express in-shower moisturiser when you're showering. So one that you just slather over quickly before you step out of the shower. If you don't have time to sit there and rub in a traditional cream just until you're out of the woods and then you can resume your razor. <laughs> and again, Tilly says, when I was pregnant with my children, I suffered from itchy skin. I still do due to a genetic liver condition. Are there any great products that can soothe my skin, please? Itchiness is common, isn't it, in pregnancy, especially where the baby is growing. Do you see that a lot? Yeah, really common. So as your skin obviously stretches and thins, um, so women often experience bump itchiness or actually breasts. And there is something called obstetric coleostasis, which is, I think, what... Um, that listener has um, referred to, which is an increase in bile acids in your liver, which is then presented in itching skin. Um, I actually had it in my last two pregnancies um, and it is absolutely the worst thing. I could have taken morning sickness every day. Really? Yeah, it was the pits. It presented itself around 28 weeks with my last pregnancy and I had to go on medication for it. And it um, initially starts on the palms of your feet and the palms of your hands um, as the bile acids are kind of overloaded and your um, liver can't um, break them down. It's a side effect to it, which actually in the grand scheme of things isn't going to affect the baby. Um, but what a pain. How oh uncomfortable. My goodness. It was And awful. what if anything soothed you other than your medication? So it sounds as though maybe she needs to speak to her midwife or her offline, yeah. whoever's care she's under. The um the medication actually didn't seem to reduce the itchiness, it just reduced other symptoms that was going on internally. The thing that worked the most was um on prescription from the GP, which was just like a aqueous cream but had um menthol in it. And it just soothed the because it's the tingle. It's like a burn. distracted, yeah. You. And I found I couldn't use anything else on my skin. And actually, once as soon as the twins were born, it stopped within. I, I think that's interesting. I, I can say with some confidence that you can get uh, mentholated aqueous cream over the counter. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a huge so, tub. Yeah, so I, I think you can buy you can buy that in um, Boots or Superdrug or, yeah. or, or wherever. Aqueous cream is certainly um, not a controlled um, medication, so you can probably go and get that yourself. And maybe the, the tingle of the camphor or the menthol will will take will distract you a bit yeah. like a tense machine. Yeah, exactly. Clemmy Hooper, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely brilliant. Great to have your professional insight. I mean, it seems redundant to ask where we can find you on social media because I always ask, but I think people know. But remind us. <laughs> um, so on Instagram, I'm um, at Mother of Daughters, and I also run my midwifery Instagram account, which is called Gas and Air. Um, my blog is called Gas and Air, and I also have a podcast which is called Birth Stories, um, where guests come on every week and share their birth stories. Yes, I think I'm coming on, aren't I? Yes, yeah, series two, I think we're booking you for. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to review and subscribe and keep your questions coming. Ask us any beauty related question or tell us which topics you'd like to cover. Tag me on social. I'm Sally Hughes everywhere except Facebook, where I'm Sally Hughes Get the Look. And 
and use the hashtag The Beauty Podcast with Sally. This podcast was brought to you by Avon. See you next time. Bye.